Well, thank you for letting us celebrate the Lord with you like that today. And now we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this beautiful day in Albuquerque. Thank you for the privilege we have to praise you with song and now to study your word together today. And Lord, I pray as we start this new year here in this room and those worshiping with us live and later, Lord, that you just do a great, great work. God, we have repeatedly declared your praises even in 2020 because we believe your word is true and that you are working, that you're working all things together for good, that you were doing many things we saw and thousands of things we didn't see. And we want to carry that over into this new year. We're thankful that though calendar pages change, you do not. And we just declare, Lord, that you are worthy of all the praise we've sung today and so much more. Our words don't adequately describe who you are as we sing them. We praise you. We pray for our sister church, for Iglesia Hermosa in Santa Fe. Just pray that you'd use them, equip them. Help them to reach the Spanish-speaking population, but much more. Use them in a great way, we pray. And we pray for Mark and Mia in Japan. And just pray that you'd give them great rest. You do great, great work through my friends, Lord. And just equip them. Help them to reach many for Christ and make multiplying disciples. And Lord, now for Albuquerque, we pray that you'd do a great, great work in this city that you'd redeem her, you'd make Albuquerque a jewel in the desert. You'd do a work so great that only you could get the credit, we pray. I pray for each person in this room, each person worshiping online, that you would use your word in our lives today in a powerful and mighty way. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, take your copy of God's word and turn to Revelation chapter 7. We're double dipping a little bit. We, we went over into Revelation 7 into the first few verses last week as we looked at Revelation 6, but uh, we'll just review a little as we take in the whole chapter, Revelation 7, this morning. Well, if I haven't seen you in person, uh, Happy New Year today to you. We're, we rejoice, not just in the fact that it's a new year, not just in the fact that it's a different number than 2020. We rejoice that we're one year closer to what we've been reading in Revelation. We're one day, one year closer to what God is doing, what God has planned since before the beginning of time. You see, the biggest thing about turning the calendar to 2021 has nothing to do with COVID has nothing to do with the economy. It has nothing to do with what's happening in the the election aftermath. The biggest thing about 2021 is the mission of God for his people and the mission of God for Sandia Baptist Church specifically. So we get a glimpse into where we're headed in the mission of God today. Let's read this really great chapter and then we'll dig into it. After this, and you remember last week, chapter 6 was the opening of the first six seals and probably the beginning of the tribulation, these seven years that will come. Lord willing, the church is gone. We'll, we'll find that out if I'm right in the air. 
one way or the other. But it was bad. If you remember last week, read chapter 6 if you haven't. It's, it's going to get bad. We haven't seen anything. But when the seventh seal is broken, it's going to get way bad. Read chapter 7 with me. After this, John says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the sea and the earth, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. And from the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. And from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. And after these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and all the elders around the throne, the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? And I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. And they will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, it's a beautiful chapter. And there are these moments along the way in the story of Revelation where things pause and we see these wonderful truths, and this is one of those chapters. The title of the sermon uh, is something like, I can't remember because I wrote it and then went to sleep uh, a couple times, but it's something like a surrounding the throne or a multitude from every nation. There it is on the screen. Well, that is true. But the reason for the multitude from every nation, the reason for the sealing of the 144,000 is what we've been singing and talking about today. God. God. When he says something will happen, it will happen. You can take it to the bank. And so we begin review here just that he remembers mercy. In his wrath, he remembers mercy. 
In these first three verses, we looked at them last week, but, but this interesting picture uh, where the angel is sent to stop those four angels at the four corners of the earth. We looked at this last week. It's a figure of speech. Yes, God knew he created around earth. And uh, just like you know that the sun doesn't set, that we, we move, it doesn't, and all of those things. But so he says, wait, don't harm the earth or the trees or anything until we have sealed the bondservants of our God. In his wrath, he remembers mercy, and he's going to seal his bondservants. Look last week at Ephesians chapter 1 that reminds us if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has come to live in our hearts, and he is the earnest of our salvation. He's the seal of God's promise in us. And so I ask you at the beginning today, have you been sealed with the Spirit of God? Does the Spirit of the living God live inside of you, confirming the fact that you have come to know him as Savior? Well, you you say, I'm not sure. Nail it down today. Start the new year correctly. Don't wait any longer. Don't wonder any longer. Today, in just a few minutes, come to know Christ as your Savior, to be sealed in your spirit, to have a mark in your spirit that says, I belong to him. And the reason I know it is not because I'm a church member, not because I'm religious, not because I think I'm a pretty good person. The way I know it is I've been born again, and the spirit of the living God lives inside of me. And then are you willing to be marked for him? Marked for him where you know it on the inside, but are you willing to be marked for him on the outside? Now, God doesn't ask us to take a physical mark like we're going to see here, but I mean, are you willing for folks to know that you belong to him at work, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your family? Mark yourself. But when you do, realize that you've now marked yourself for the Lord and you need to live not perfectly, but you need to live after the Lord. Well, we're going to pause here next as God counts his people. We lived in Japan for 10 years, and um, uh, by the time we came home, we had six children, or two born back in the States after we came home, but uh, we had six children there, I think. I don't know. I could never count how many kids we had. I don't know. I don't even know how many kids we have now, but uh, anyway... We, we traveled a lot. We were, you know, in crowds a lot in Japan, and there were different meetings that would mean we'd travel to different places. And so it was a, an effort to get us from one place to the other. And so we'd get off a train or we'd enter into a crowd. We'd first pause at each juncture and make sure we had everyone. And then I would usually lead us if I knew where we were going, and Kathy would usually go in the back to make sure that I didn't uh, forget anyone, and she could count as we went through uh, the traffic there. God's going to stop here in the middle of the book of Revelation, in the middle of this, this, this horrific yet God-glorifying scene of the six seals being broken, and now before the seventh seal is broken, he's going to count some folks. And we have two groups here. And the first is this mysterious 144,000 What's up with this 144,000 of Israel? Much has been made of it. Many uh, attempts to explain, well, it's this or it's that or it's the church or it's, it's all. And the easiest thing in my estimation after studying is just to say it's exactly what it says it is. It's 144,000 from Israel. Now, is it 144,000 Zero, 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 or is it an estimation, meaning a lot, because these are numbers. There's a lot of study done on the, the combination of the numbers. We don't know, but it's a lot of people from Israel. 
from every tribe of Israel. Now, there's some interesting notes here. Uh, Judah is listed first. Now, Israel is listed throughout the Old Testament many different ways, many different configurations. But usually, Reuben is first, the firstborn. But Judah is here. Why? Probably because Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Joseph uh, sometimes is not listed. Levi is usually not listed. And in their place, Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are listed. But Joseph is in the list. Dan is not. Ephraim is not. And again, we don't know all the reasons that God would do this. Many suggestions. Ephraim and Dan uh, possibly had a penchant for idolatry, and maybe they're not in the list for, for this. There were those who theorized in the early centuries that the Antichrist would come from the tribe of Dan. We don't, we don't know why God had it this way. But nevertheless, here they are, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. God is not finished with Israel. Uh, many, even Christians, want to take the New Testament and make it so that Israel had their chance, they're gone, and the church is the new Israel. I don't see it that way because God made a covenant with Israel. And when God makes a covenant, when God declares something to be so, it will be so. Now, we see in Galatians that those who come to know Christ as their Savior are spiritually a type of new Israel, the true Israel, but Israel itself has a covenant with God. And when God makes a covenant with you, he keeps it. And so he's not through with them. We see throughout the scriptures promises made in the very beginning in Genesis 12 when God called Abraham to leave his home and to follow him and that through him he would make a new nation, this fatherless man. And that through him and his, this new nation, through the seed of Abraham, he said, every nation, every family in all the world will be blessed. Now, we know that part of that came by the fact that Jesus was of that seed. And so, yes, every nation, every family can be blessed if they'll receive Jesus as their Savior. But he's not through with Israel. Joel 2, we can read about. Zechariah 13, on and on. I want to just read from you from Romans 11, 25 and 26. Paul writes... For I did not want you, brothers and sisters, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved just as it is written. Well, there's a lot in that two-verse section. But Paul says there's a partial hardening of Israel. Israel has rejected, most of Israel, even today, has rejected Christ as their Savior. And one constant through all of our understanding, all of our study of what exactly is God's relationship with Israel is this. We see nothing in the Scripture to point us to any fact other than that everyone who comes to the Lord must come so through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God has made a covenant with Israel those in the Old Testament had faith in God. It was their faith in God that saved them because of what Christ did. Now, I'm going to start making smoke come out of our ears here when we start trying to get into uh, God's infiniteness and our linear time frame. But even Moses was saved by Christ because he had faith in God. We're told that Abraham was saved by faith 430 years before the law came. So it wasn't the law that saved any Israelite. It was their faith in God paid for by Christ God lives in an eternal now. But stay with me. God made a covenant with Israel. Many of them today have rejected him, are still waiting for the Messiah to come. It's, it's sad. 
It's disheartening. It's troubling that they would be waiting for the Messiah when the Messiah has already come, died on the cross, risen again, back in heaven, ready to come again. But there's a partial hardening. In fact, in Romans, in this same section, chapters 9 through 11, Paul says that God is using the influx, the the engrafting of the Gentiles, that's all or most of us, who have come to faith in this New Testament era, He's using it to woo and to cause jealousy in Israel. And it appears that during these last days that the time of the Gentiles will have been fulfilled and the partial hardening will be released and there will be revival in Israel. And we should rejoice with that. We should praise the Lord for that for many reasons. But one is because it reminds us that God keeps His promises. And there will be a miraculous, wonderful revival. Paul says, all Israel will be saved. We can look at that a lot lot of ways. That's kind of hard to believe that all of anybody will be saved in the end times. Is it all? Well, again, that's the easiest way to read your Bible is just to go with what it says literally. And in these end times, there will be revival. And I pray that Paul meant all, and the Holy Spirit meant all in the way that we mean all. But God is not finished with Israel. So it's a beautiful thing. Now, what is he sealing them from? Well, we're not told exactly, but we see in some other chapters to come. Verse chapter 9, for example, when the demon hordes are released, these that are sealed are protected. Why didn't God take them At this moment, well, we're not told, many have suggested that this will be an evangelism troop like none other, and that they may indeed be partially, if not wholly, responsible for what we see next in the rest of this chapter. God's not finished with Israel. He makes a promise. He keeps it. But we see another group here, this throng of born-again believers, verse 9 and following. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne of God. This is God's heart. Every single nation, every single tribe, every single ethno-linguistic group around the world. Jesus came to die for every peoples. I know that's not, link, that's not correct, but he came to die for every single people group, ethno-linguistic. Is that your heart? Is that my heart? We have to separate ourselves. We are citizens of the United States of America, but we're also citizens of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our government has a role. We have a role as citizens, but we have a role as citizens in the kingdom of heaven to say that there are no spiritual enemies of the church. There are those that may choose to make us their enemy. But the worst people group that you could imagine, the people group that's the harshest, the people group that's the hardest for you to love, Jesus died for them. And we've been given the commission to take the gospel to them. Some of us physically, God may be calling some of you to go as COVID restrictions lift and we're able to take mission trips again to go with us on a short-term trip, to go for a longer period of time, to go vocationally. And all you've got to do is say yes. Don't try to figure out all the details. If God calls you, he'll figure out the details. You just say yes. But even those of us who don't go, we give, we pray. What a privilege it is to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. There are many ways to do missions. 
We had many colleagues that were sent in many different ways. But I'm just telling you, as a former International Mission Board, Southern Baptist missionary, it is a blessing to be able to focus on the work and not worry about whether you're going to be on the field or not because you're having to raise every single individual piece of support. This is God's heart. All the nations, unable to be counted. And they're before the Lamb, he says, and they're clothed in white robes and palm branches are in their hands. They have been declared pure, imputed righteousness. They didn't make themselves pure like we don't make ourselves pure, but because somehow it appears in the middle of the great tribulation, they've come to know Christ. Is that possible? It appears so. Is it easy? It appears not. Over in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, Paul writes and talks about this very thing. And he says that because there's been a rejection of Christ that will cause someone to not be a part of the rapture, but to enter into the great tribulation, God will send a hardening of the heart. The devil at the same time will be sending a delusion trying to keep, that's his, that's his goal for us, to keep us from knowing Christ. And yet, it appears that it is somehow possible. Do not wait. If you think you haven't come to Christ now and you want to wait until after this moment, until after the tribulation, I'm telling you, if you've had a hard time up until this point, the the odds are incredibly impossible. Possible? Yes. But I'm just telling you, do not wait. Come to Christ today in this era. And so somehow they've come to know Christ During this time, COVID, one of the greatest purposes of COVID, and we all fall in different areas about what we believe is true and not true about it, and that's okay. Whatever we believe about it, one of the greatest purposes that God would use it for is to cause people to think about eternity, to think about death. We're going to die, but a lot of people don't realize that and stop and think about it. So it causes us to say, where am I with God? What will I say when I die? And for the believer, COVID is a temporary, quick reminder. Hey, dying's a good deal. Paul said to die is a good thing. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. We don't go looking for death. Again, it's okay to be careful. I was careful before COVID. I took a full shower after I went to some stores. And I'm kidding, but you know, I, I'm okay with being careful. But for the believer, you choose your careful level, and I realize that doesn't make good linguistic sense either. You choose your level. But beyond that, if you know Christ, it's okay. We don't have to fear. But the biggest purpose for COVID is for the unbeliever to stop and say, I am afraid to die because I don't know Christ. And that's what happens here in the great tribulation. And what do they do in verse 10? They cry out with a loud voice. They're excited. Are you excited about your salvation? Somewhere in here, the church is a part of this mix, worshiping with them, I believe. And they cry out, salvation to our God, or really appropriately, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. You are the only one, they're crying out, who can save. Only you can save. 
You, God the Father on the throne, as we saw in chapter 4, and you, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, as we saw in chapter 5. And then here they come, the choir comes back in. Remember all those angels that were tens and tens and tens of thousands, maybe into the millions? He couldn't count them. He just used myriads and myriads. Well, they're back in. And there are the 24 elders, they're back in, and there are those four living creatures who can't stop themselves day and night from falling down on their faces before the throne and worshiping God. They probably look down their noses at some of our attitudes of worship in this room and then throughout our week. But they worship again, and, and here comes the second verse. They're saying, amen, it is so, it is so blessing and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. They just can't come up with enough words to describe their praise to the Lord. And again, he already has all of these attributes, but we praise him again and again, and it's like, it's like the incense of the aroma to his nostrils, what we do in this room, and then what we do Monday through Saturday in our lives with song, with obedience, all of these things, declaring again, God, you deserve to be, for it to be said of you all of these things, amen. Well, then one of the elders in verse 13 uh, pops a question to John. Hey, John, who are these that are clothed in the white robes? Where'd they come from? And John says to him, my Lord, and your Bible probably has a non-capital Lord. He's not talking to Christ there, but to this elder in respect, deference, I don't know, you know. And he said, these are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation and they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. You you don't wash something white, wash something in blood to make it white. Every parent knows that grape juice spills 10 more times than water and can't get it out. But there's one way to make something white with something red and that's to wash it with the blood of Christ who will be praised and glorified forever and ever and ever. Have you been washed, as we, the old hymn, have you been washed by the blood? Do not leave this room today. Do not turn off your broadcast today. Do not start this year if you don't know that you know that you know Christ as your Savior. But the last thing here, they're safe, and we will be safe in his tabernacle. One of the definitions or the essences of what heaven is is to be in the presence of the living God. For this reason, in verse 15, they are before the throne of God and they serve him in this worship. They, they, they serve him, worship him day and night in his temple. Right now, our Lord Jesus Christ, God on the throne, the Lamb is with him, they are being worshiped. 24-7 right now, forever and ever and ever and ever, and it will never, ever stop. And we're going to get to be a part of that face-to-face, but we can be a part of it even here. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. This is the same language we have in John 1, that Jesus came in the flesh and he dwelt among us. It, the, the literal meaning there is that he tabernacled with us. He spread his tent over us. And that's what heaven is like, to live in Jesus' tent. You take your kids camping, your particularly young kids. They don't have to think about whether they have a tent or not when they leave the house. 
They're going to be in, in dad's tent. They're going to be in mom's tent. And he says, we're going to come into his tent. We're going to live there with him. And he's going to provide every single thing we could have ever, ever wanted. They'll hunger no longer, with which most of us in the United States of America don't really understand. Thirst no more, which we don't really understand. Oh, these folks in the Middle East, they understood thirst and the need for water. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any heat. We lived in Oregon, and the constant rain could destroy everything. When we moved to Albuquerque, and it's the, the baking sun that can destroy everything. He says, no, no destruction from the sun there. The lamb in the center will be the shepherd. The lamb becomes the shepherd. And he'll guide them, and it will be us too, to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I remember being a teenage Christian and sitting around at a youth event with my friends one night. We were talking about, what do you think heaven will be like? Oh, we had all of these teenager ideas. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Now that I'm 52, I'm thinking what this says looks a lot better. Just being in the presence of God and him taking away all hunger, all thirst, all the sun beating down, and wiping away the tears from our eyes. That sounded pretty good. And God's got that waiting for you if you know Christ as your Savior. Between here and there, there are a lot of questions. We don't have answers for all of them. But I have a feeling, although I think some are right that we're going to keep learning in heaven, when we march in to heaven's doors, we're not going to march in with a bunch of questions. We're going to join this throng, and we're going to fall on our faces, and we're going to praise the living God who makes promises and keeps them. 2003, we had the privilege of spending a month in Singapore in strategy coordinator training. Kathy and I had just been given a new assignment, which morphed into uh, an assignment. Our responsibility was to make strategy to reach with the gospel 8.1 million people one part of Tokyo, and we were the only Southern Baptists with that responsibility. There were other, certainly other people, other believers in that 8.1 million people. So as a part of that, we had the, the tough task of spending a month in Singapore. I mean, somebody had to do it and uh, for strategy coordinator training, and so we were in class for a month there, and we did what many of you who are engineers here in Albuquerque do. We, we did reverse engineering. Uh, the idea was to say, what is, what's the prayer? What, would, what do we think it would look like if God moved in North and East Tokyo, those 8.1 million people? What would the end look like? And so then you begin with the end vision, and you begin working backwards until you get to today. Okay. God knows the real plan, but we'll make some plans. And that's what we do here. This great throng of people... The 144,000 from Israel and all of these Gentiles that can't be counted, that's the envision. So then we work backwards and we say, okay, Sandia Baptist Church, what do we do starting in 2021? God's going to do this with or without us. I believe that, that God wants us to play a role in that, and I believe that it matters if we play a role in that, and I believe that somehow, miraculously, God is able to mix those two together. 
But he does use us, and it does matter whether I say yes or no to the mission of sharing the gospel and making disciples who multiply. And yet, simultaneously, God will do it. But we don't want to get to heaven and say, God, we really, you left us on the earth for your mission, and all we really did was just mark time. And you saved us anyway, and here we are. I'm sorry. No, we want to be a part of accomplishing this mission. So this year, we look again at those basics. Are you growing in the Lord yourself? Are you in the Word? Are you in prayer? And then are you making it your goal to share about Christ? Again, starting where you're at. The devil would come in today and he'd say, oh, there he goes again. You can't do it. It's overwhelming. He wants you to reach 10,000 people this month. No, that's the devil will lie to you. What's your simple goal? Hey, that once a week or more, I'm going to say something to somebody about Jesus or prayer or church. Again, just opening the conversation and see where God takes it. And then we disciple them, walking alongside of them, helping them to learn just what it looks like to live the Christian life and how to repeat the process to reach others for Christ. And you start there and you end up with, as we join with other churches, a throng too big to be counted. What's the part God has for you today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to me today as an individual believer and as a pastor. And Lord, thank you that you're a promise-keeping God. And thank you that that the answer is Jesus and, and God is big and God keeps his promises. And Lord, there are people in this room having the best day of their life. There are people having the worst day of their life and everywhere in between. But the answer is the same for all of us. We need to know Christ, and then God will keep his promises. And then God show us here at the beginning of the year how we can just be committed to those basics again of growing in you and telling others about you and discipling them. Oh, Father, I pray for this year. I pray that this would be the best year that we've ever experienced at Sandia Baptist Church. I pray that all of us will be growing in you. Not leadership, not a percentage, but that all of us will be growing in you and will be on mission with you and we'll see many, many people coming to know Christ, following you in believer's baptism and repeating the process. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.